because my plan was totally changed as I was uh, listening to my Bible readings and stuff. Um, if, you're, if you follow that, if you start over in you know, January every year, you're somewhere in the neighborhood of Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you're walking through the story of Israel. So after 10 years of experience at our church, 10 years of, of giving life here and loving the people that attach to it, there's been one thing that's really common. When things are going really good, we are getting ready to do battle. And I was listening, so I've been listening to that story of the nation of Israel now for the last couple weeks. Um, you know, Exodus, they go through, and man, you're just uh, you're, you're dealing with the glory of God against Pharaoh, against the nation of Egypt. You're getting all of this wonderful stuff going on. And then you get out into the wilderness, and you start to see some things that just break your heart on repeat. This morning, we're going to read Numbers chapter, uh, parts of 13 into 14. So here's where everything just went chaotic. Number one, we should be in Esther, but we're not in Esther. We will be back there next week uh, talking through that story, preaching through that story again. This week, what I wanted to do was I just wanted to remind everyone after two months of, of wonderful things. Listen, like the last couple of weeks around here have just been a real blessing. I mean, the fellowship, the time together is always good. Last week with the teen service, when you've got teens actually buying into what's going on, uh, starting to serve the Lord, like we're seeing some of my vision start to play out. Like when we started doing Family Sunday years ago, last Sunday was what I had in my mind. Now, the finishing, the completion of that will be when this group goes to college and we hear about what they're doing and how they're serving their next body. Or they're of college age and they rotate into being adult at our church and serving the Lord here. That will be the completion of that vision. I've told you all, for years the church has lost these kids when they left for college. When they've had more buildings built, more money spent on pizza, more money spent on, on doctrinal stuff for youth pastors, more youth leader involvement, more of all this stuff, more preaching and teaching about it, like more of that stuff in the last 30 years. And yet we're losing more of them when they leave to go to college than we ever have before. So part of what you saw last week was a little bit of us trying to correct that trend, to give them ownership in something that's actually theirs. And to have people at our church that don't necessarily have kids of that age buying in, that is what it looks like to be a multi-generational church. It's easy to get excited when your kids are doing something. It's a little harder to get excited when it's somebody else's kid, unless, unless you and I as Christian people have a proper understanding of what it looks like to love them, lead them, take care of them as a part of the church, the body of Christ, not just their parents. So to see a week like last week, the week before, to go through with foster care and to be talking about adoption and all the things that go on and start surrounding these people, there have been fruit from that service already. And we've got teams built. If you want to get added to those, you reach out to Emily, Sadie, myself, somebody. We'll get you on a team of just prayer and support or whatever else. But when you have stuff like that going on, that is a huge blessing. There is nothing more potent in our church right now that shows the heart of God than the people that are signing up not only to do foster care but becoming in behind these families and helping them as they do there is nothing more godly than that taking place right here other than preaching and teaching the word of God that is the heart of God and it is a mission field that a lot of people here are jumping on those are wonderful wonderful things volleyball season around here Monday nights Wednesday nights spend an extra time Tuesday nights spend an extra time 
uh, Friday spending extra time with the people of God. Like these are sweet, sweet moments and just enjoying each other's company. In all of that, there are some other things happening right now too that show spiritual depth. The foster thing is one. The kids is one. There are some prayers being prayed that are taking us to the next level of discipleship and Christianity. We have people praying for serious, serious things. Instead of being the default at the end of issues, it is becoming the default at the front. Jesus said, the house of God, my house, will be called a house of prayer. And as you and I continue to get into that stuff, as you and I continue to long for the sweetness of God's people praying together, the power on this church will continue to grow. And man, it is a wonderful thing be a part of. I get to hear a little bit more than most of the people here. I get to hear a little bit more of the good, a little bit more of the bad. And man, right now is just a sweet moment to be a part of this church. So if you're here this morning and you're visiting, I'm sorry, this is going to feel weird. It's going to sound weird, but this is directed toward our church as we get ready to walk into this year and how we're going to do that. Because these moments of sweetness, a lot of times are followed by some chaos. And we need to be ready for it this time. We need to be ready uh, that the, the, and understanding that the enemy doesn't like what you and I are doing. Our church is becoming a house of prayer through need. And there's a lot of notes today. You can just listen to me. You can glance up. That's, that's what got thrown off this morning. I was like swapping slides. Like, you know what? Just forget it. Like, we're just going to talk. This is going to be a lot like Sunday school. We're just going to talk. Enjoy each other's company. But through need and then through joy. Through the needs that you and I can't offer, we can be driven to prayer. Through the things that we can't supply, we can be driven to prayer. Or, like a relationship with a good father, we can pick that phone up repeatedly and talk to our Lord. Talk to the God of the universe that's called you son and called you daughter. Called you into family with him. Married you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? Adopted you. Right through that process, sealing you up with the Holy Spirit. You and I have been attached to God in every way you can attach and become family. Blood bought with what Jesus has done. Married as the bride of Christ and adopted as sons and daughters. Like any way you can do it, the Lord has said, you are mine, you are mine, you are mine. And when you and I actually start to believe that these last couple months, that is the fruit. It sure is noisy around here with all them kids running around. It's life. It's God's blessing. It's the Lord looking and saying, hey, there's another generation coming after you. I'm going to give it to you. But man, Lord, it's loud and they're messy. It absolutely is. Right? Where no ox are, this is Proverbs. Where no ox are, the barn is clean. You don't have to shovel no poop. But much strength comes with the ox. And the Lord has blessed us on repeat. The fellowship around here has been frequent and sweet. We are seeing a, God, a, a good, if that was God, if that was meant to be God, that would be capitalized. But we are seeing a good and glorious moment play out right in front of us. I hope you've enjoyed it. It won't be the last one, but not everybody's happy about it. You understand that? You and I have an enemy, and when you and I start making decisions that look biblical, when we start asking God to do in our life and do in our heart what Jesus, 
the life that he would have lived, what he would have done. Like when we're serious about that, there's some people that are not happy. They want to come in. They want to interrupt. They want to break. Not everyone is happy. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. Now here's my first question to you this morning is simply this. Does he have free reign to devour? He's not walking around devouring. That's not what the scripture says. What does it say? Seeking. Seeking someone, which means there is a part in this process that he can come this far and no further. He is not omnipotent, all-powerful like the God of the universe. He is a limited, created being. But man, he is not happy. What are his weapons? What kind of weapons? And this, this is personal and this is church-oriented. I need you to understand, like, these things play out in your home. They play out in your own heart. His weapons of choice are what? Frustration? Bitterness, doubt, lies, he's the father of what? He's the accuser of the brethren, accusations, right? Miscommunications are his forte, right? Now, we have so many ways to communicate now, and yet we have made them all potentially super dangerous. There is not a worse way in the world to communicate something important than what? Text message. All the words, none of the tone. All the words, none of the love. Right? All the words, and then you've misspelled them, so they replaced them with whatever they wanted to, and now you're dealing with that. Like, he loves to work in miscommunications. Okay? He deals in accusation. He is the accuser of the brethren. Even to this day, he has access to the throne room of God, and he walks in, and what does he do? book of Job says he comes in to talk to God about what's going on. And listen, most of the time, our testimony probably isn't really good when it comes from the enemy's mouth. Because he likes to bring up all the what? He's like some of the people you know. Right? We ain't worried about none of the good stuff. We ain't worried about none of the change. But we're going to bring up all the what? Yeah. Yeah. Man, your children are a mess, Lord. Right? God. I can't believe you even call them kids. They're a train wreck. Seen what they did this week. Seen what they did in their private time. See what they did on their computer, what they did on their phone. See how they treated so-and-so. That's what he does every day. Now, who do you and I have there? The advocate. Jesus. We're making them perfect, Lord. They're one with us. John 17. I prayed that. We made it so. They're ours. One day it will not be so. Right now it is, but I have covered them in my blood. You see them through me, so you see them with my righteousness. You and I have an advocate. We have what Job cried for in Job. There's no one that can put his hand on God and his hand on me and bridge this gap. That's what Job cries out in Job chapter 9. You and I have that. That was a prophecy. And now Jesus does. But the enemy still works in accusation. How about this one? He works in rebellion. He works in a rebellious spirit. I will not be told what to do. I don't care who does it. Don't care what they say. Not going to listen. He works in rebellion. He also doesn't work with a megaphone a whole lot in church. He works through whispers. Phone calls. Corner. Gossip. Prayer requests. 
got a prayer request, man. Did you hear what so-and-so's kid did? Oh, my goodness, it was so bad. I mean, we need to pray for them. <laughs> right? Now, y'all know who are the worst of that. You've lived in churches with them. Nobody ever wants to call them out. Why? Because of some little matriarch of the church running around. She's been there 50 years loving people. Boy, she sure is a gossip. She sure does like to sow discord. Right? Sowing a discord. Book of Proverbs says that the Lord hates six things. One, the seventh is an abomination. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Like those are some big deals. And they make the first six. You know the seventh? He or she who sows discord among the brethren. God picks and elevates that. I want to tell you, this is one of the ways, this is the fastest, most prevalent way that the devil works in most churches today. The sowing of discord. Because it's so easy to get away with and everybody is too cowardly to stop it. Oh, you got a problem with so-and-so? Let's go talk to him. Oh, no, I'm good. It wasn't that big of a deal. I wasn't really that offended. It wasn't that bad. Maybe I didn't see what I saw. Like nobody wants to deal with that. You know how you stop sowing of discord? You march the people to the person they have an issue with. And we settle this like adults. Or we deal with it like adults. But man, this sin runs so rampant in most churches. It's a reason why they're not safe. It's a reason why the community stinks. Because you don't ever know who you can trust with handing this information to. I do have a prayer request. I do have a need. I am struggling. And I need you to help me with this. Okay, great. And now five minutes later, we're texting somebody about it or calling them or waiting for the next conversation to use it against them. You know, one of the most disheartening things I've ever read, and you can, you can just Google search it and read article after article. Do you know some of the loneliest people in America right now are pastors? And I am so thankful for 10 years, I have always had brothers here that I trusted. Always. And always more than just leadership. I'm not talking, I'm talking... 20 guys at our church that I think at any moment I could call with a need or a help and it would not be used against me at all, that they would do anything in the world. And that has been consistent, even though some of the people have changed. That has been consistent since I walked in. I have never had to deal with that problem. I cannot imagine being in ministry with people where every time you looked around, you saw an adversary. Dust your feet off and walk out of that church. I am so glad I've never had to deal with that here. But man, he deals in sowing of discord. Our church has lived through it. In my 10 years, we have lived through it at least three times. And God has been so gracious to us. He's been so gracious to this church. The doors should not be open. If you go through the history of what this church has lived through, as it started as a church split in the 70s, and now we're so many years later, and we're still here. If you read some of the things that have gone on, if you know some of the stories, or you've talked to some of the people about what has happened here, you would just be amazed that God has kept the doors open. But he has. Because the heart here has always been good. Our discipleship at times was lacking. The strength of some was lacking at times. But man, the heart has always been good. The fellowship has always been good. And the Lord has been gracious with us like the nation of Israel. And he has held you and I together for this moment, 2023. Stepping in the middle of all the chaos and all the crazy the world has to offer. Here we are. What are his vehicles? Well, the first thing you and I need to understand, it's not other people first. What's the vehicle the enemy uses first to attack anything? My own heart. Where do all these temptations come to do bad things? Not outside. Inside. I have a sin problem. 
and that flesh is still there. God has not crucified it yet to where it's dead and gone yet. It's coming, but it's not there yet. And so I am saved, and He has given me a new heart, but my issues come from my own heart. They are not exterior forces that push me first. It is my own temptation to do evil and wicked things. And because of that, I am susceptible to fall into any trap that the devil lays out unless I am armored up with what God has called good. You see, his vehicle to run these temptations, his vehicle to run these weapons is first of my own heart, its desires. For churches, so many times it's when goat or wolves come in to disrupt the peace. Listen, this is the family of God. The way we have done church around here for 10 years is simply this. This is not an evangelism service. Somebody comes and they get to know the Lord or the Lord saves them in that moment. That is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But I am here as your shepherd to equip you to do the work. This is that moment. We open the word of God and we preach it to Christians. The gospel is about evangelism and bringing people into the family of God. But then after that, if you follow the Great Commission, it's teaching them to do all that I have commanded. That is the service. So we will have people here sometimes that don't know the Lord, and that is awesome. And we're going to preach the gospel and talk about Jesus and my sin problem and what he has done. We're going to do all that stuff. But ultimately, this service is about equipping you to do the work so that Monday morning you are a little stronger and a little better prepared to go out and love and care for the world that you have to love and care for, the mission and the calling that you are on. Sometimes the goats and the wolves come into churches and they disrupt the peace. We talked about this in Sunday school for a couple minutes. And because we like full buildings, and because we like full offering plates, we let it go. We rob the church its power. We rob the church its purity. God help us when we rob its safety because we allow people to be here that don't want to be here. They're here as plants to cause disruption to the family of God. How do you know that? By the lifestyle that they live when they're not here. By the whispers and what they talk about while they're here. You and I need to understand this is equipping for the family. I am feeding the sheep of God so that they can live and live abundantly like Jesus commanded us. Not so that we can hope one person walks in here every Sunday and doesn't know the Lord. I'm here to equip you. That you can explain it to other people and love them throughout the week. That God can work in you and work through you. And so many times, churches are more worried about having a full seat than they are about having a place of peace. And they've let things go that they should never have let go. Robs the purity and robs the power of the church. Robs the safety of the place you and I are creating. How can you and I really do Christian life if we're not in a safe place right now? How can you really be a brother and a sister to me if we're not in a safe place? How can I trust you with my burdens, with my needs? And how does he get victory? Well, the enemy gets victory through disconnecting or disconnection. That process of disconnecting is a victory. You are needed. If I dislocate my finger, it hurts. If I lop it off, it really hurts. You're part of the body of Christ. There should be a position here that if you don't fill it, the body is lacking, which draws you and I together. I like ten fingers. I need them all, right? I don't want to choose any of them not to have. I like my toes, right? They're ugly. 
But man, they hold the balance, right? Even them bunions that are protruding out. I think they give me some better lateral movement during volleyball. Got a wider platform. But there, there's a purpose. Disconnection, disconnecting, a cooling toward the things of God. Realizing heart doesn't matter as much anymore. Going to church doesn't matter. Reading the Bible doesn't matter. Music you listen to doesn't matter. What you're watching doesn't matter. When there's a cooling toward the things of God, maybe you're just busy. Right? That's the enemy winning. How about this one? Quarrels. Quarrels about things that don't matter. Listen, men and women, marrying age, married already, want to be married, doesn't matter. Figure out a handful of things to fight over and let every other thing go. They don't matter. Let them go. Quarrels, fighting around. I want my way. There's a difference between quarrels and harassment. Harassment's fun. <laughs> jealousy. What happens with jealousy? The enemy gets his way when, when you and I are, are jealous. Jealous of somebody else's this, somebody else's that, somebody else's relationship, somebody else's standing here, somebody else's testimony, whatever it is. He wins in jealousy. This one terrifies me. He wins in loneliness. When you and I get lonely, he starts to win. This body needs you. You need it. When you are separated, he, that loneliness starts to creep in. That's why you and I have to work real hard at just kind of corralling some of those that are missing. Okay? Look around. Don't see somebody. Call them, text them, love them. Loneliness, he starts to win in diversion. If the enemy can't make you sin, he'll make you what? Busy. Busy. Diversion. Look at Numbers chapter 13 with me. I want to walk through. Boy, this, this is really taking a turn. It's going to be way different. There was so much to go through. There is so, I mean, it's the whole Old Testament, right? The whole Old Testament. We'll get there in a minute. Numbers chapter 13 is what? What's the, what's the top of your Bible say? What is the, the headline there? Spies sent into Canaan. They're sent into the promised land. Look at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. This was the day after they got out of Egypt, right? They've been wandering around a little while. Okay. From like the beginning of Exodus to now, they have been wandering the wilderness. They have been on track to be delivered into the promised land in God's timing. Numbers 13 is, go check it out, Moses. Send 12. Go let them look at the land. Now, I want you to understand as we get ready to walk through what happens in chapter 14, this doesn't happen in a vacuum. We'll back up in a minute and we'll just hit a plain view, a 30,000 feet view of, of Exodus into this moment because we're going to read this and it's going to sound really harsh the problem is you and I aren't reading it with the context of what God has already done take a peek at what the Lord has promised and what he is going to give this is the moment where my hair caught fire because you and I are engaging in things as a church that are of utmost importance and they look like hills that are insurmountable some of you are dealing with a diagnosis right? 
We've got some people getting ready for the Belarusian ministry again. We haven't done that in years. I believe, if my math is correct, if it wouldn't have got shut down a couple years ago for COVID and everything else that was going on, it would have been the 25th year this church has bought, brought people from Belarus to America for six weeks at a time. That's the, that's the ministry they're talking about. We will keep introducing you all to that as we go. But the big thing that nobody wants to talk about is we need twenty grand by April. I'm just going to say it out loud. It just works better that way. We need $20,000 to bring Six kids and two interpreters. We got eight or nine. Nine, nine total. Seven kids, two interpreters. We're bringing them here from Belarus. We have 10 grand that we have saved up. We need 20 more. And we need it before it's due. And we don't fundraise and other stuff like that. God has always just provided for this ministry out of the love offerings of this church. And we have done a lot of work. The last year they came, we had over 20 people. The ministry was getting ready to die. We made a call from the pulpit, and then all of a sudden, it was brought back to life, and this church has done a better job than anybody else in the country, I'm not exaggerating, by pairing givers with people that could host. That's the only thing we did different. And God took us from four kids and an interpreter on a year it was going to die, and then by the time it was done, we had 23 total. Iron Man just broke in. So that's what, that's what they're talking about. Listen, we're getting ready to walk into that. You look at that vision and it looks huge. God, this thing is insurmountable. Diagnose this, that's insurmountable. God, we're getting ready to walk into treatment, getting ready to walk into the next part of your plan, getting ready to walk in to see these other things. We need you. The men of the church are talking about trying to drum up a men's ministry or at least some more time together of discipleship during the month. Looks insurmountable because everybody's schedule is crazy. But we need an hour or two of time together throughout the month, either by phone or in person. And so you got the men on the leadership team saying, man, we need to be doing a better job discipling. How are we going to do that? Well, we need to grab one or two people a piece a month, go through this, and then do it again and have them do it just to create relationships that work, discipleship that works. That looks like a hill that's insurmountable, Lord. We want to create disciples, but man, everybody's calendar is full. Everybody's clock is spinning too fast. God is making them look at something that is glorious. This is what I have promised. Go look. Look at verse 17 with me. Scroll down. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negeb and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell there in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now uh, the time was the season of the first ripe grapes so they go and they go in the best possible time what happens next scroll down to 23 and they came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on a pole between two of them those are some nice grapes can't carry them by themselves Carried between two of them. What else did they get? Some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. Now, the first verse says God tells them what? I've already given it. Go look at it. You now say, well, these are people that don't know what the Lord can do. They're people that haven't seen him work. 
There are people that don't understand what the God of the universe is actually capable of. Like these people haven't really seen him, so they're getting uh, kind of introduced to this awesome God. we got a problem with that. These are the same people that were brought out of Egypt. You know, when you look at the plagues, one of the most fascinating things in the Old Testament, when you look at the plagues, the ten plagues, and then I count eleven, because Pharaoh was also known as a god. Right? I count eleven by the time the, the, the Dead Sea or the, the Red Sea rotates back in and destroys the Pharaoh's army. I count eleven. Each one of those plagues was a punch in the face to some Egyptian god. Each one they can match up. The river turns to blood. Well, that's an Egyptian god that runs the Nile. And God says, and just bump, bump, bump all the way through. These people, they come out. There's the Red Sea. We're dead. We're dead. Instead of God just parting the sea, you know what he does in that story, which fascinates me? Instead of just like blowing and stopping it, he surrounds them with fire first long enough to blow it dry. So they're sitting there the whole while looking on the backside, seeing fire, looking on the front side, seeing the sea, and watching God split it. And they walk across. I would say mosey on dry land. There were some elderly people in the congregation, probably weren't moving quite as spry as they used to, right? They moseyed across. They finish. Pharaoh has changed his mind. He is chasing them down. What does he do next? Well, let's go to work for them. They saw that. They're walking in the wilderness. No water. Bitter well. Remember the stick? Moses throws the stick in. The water of Marah is now sweet. These are the people that have seen that. And now they come back and they give report. Look at verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land, though which we have gone to spy out, is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who uh, come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. You know, we go through Numbers chapter 13, and again, I've given you just a couple pieces of what these people have seen. They give a bad report. This is a glorious land. Like, there are blessings in that place. It took two people to carry the grapes, Right? There are blessings there. It is flowing with milk and honey. 
And yet they come back and say, too big. People are too big. They're sons of giants. Their cities are fortified. This is a mountain we can't take. This is a land we can't take. And that's where they end the story. Look at Numbers 14 with me. How frustrated do you think the God of the universe was? Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh who were among those who had spied out the land tore their clothes. They're grieving and they said to all the congregation of the people of Israel the land which was passed which we have passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. The Lord delights in us. He will bring us into the land and give it to us a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. How upset is the God of the universe with their lack of faith? This isn't the first time they've walked through a trial. This is not the first time they have needed the miraculous and had it laid out for them. This is not the first time God has brought them out of a land with mightier people than them. And yet they're still not learning the lesson. They're still refusing to look backward and see God's blessing and then look forward and to proclaim what he did yesterday he will do tomorrow. What he has done yesterday, he will be faithful to again. He has promised us something, and he has not failed. And So why would I think tomorrow he would fail? You see, these people have lived through all of those things. So as we sit here this morning in our church, and I look forward at the things you and I are trying to take a bite out of, like there are some real issues that this church is stepping into trying to help manage. And if you were just to look at them, you would say, that is a hill too big. We're not going to be able to touch that. We're not going to be able to fix that. We're not going to be able to work within that. And I would just look at you and say, if this is the mission God has called us to be on, then we need to go. We need to do. We need to, in faith, know that God has provided every year for the things we have tried to do. He has kept the doors open. He has kept... The, the, the bank account to where we could pay the bills. The Lord has been good. Even in this moment we're living in right now, I have people constantly about every month, and I am the backlog. I am the reason we don't have more. But talking about membership here, I want to be church members. Like the Lord is providing exactly what we need. And the enemy would come in and he would tempt you and I 
to bite off of some of his nasty fruit, to start to spread strife or discord or frustration or fear, or just because you particularly don't have an interest in this thing, you're not really going to dive all in. And I would just look at you and say, you are part of this body. Dive into the mission with us. Look forward and see these huge things coming up and get ready to rejoice because the Lord is handing us victories. Look at verse 13. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up uh, this people in your might from among them. He's looking at the Lord and saying, Hey, by the time you finish destroying these people, though, the Egyptians are going to believe in you more than the nation of Israel does. They're going to say you brought them up out of this land just to deliver them somewhere else. God be praised. They will tell all the inhabitants of the land they have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of your people, for you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Verse 15, now if you kill this people as one man, then all the nations who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring the people into the land that he swore to give them that he has killed them in the wilderness. You see what he was doing there? Moses said, Lord, if you kill the nation, then the other nations are going to say you weren't strong enough to give them the land you promised. How many times have I told you, if you know the word of God, you can pray it back to him. If you know what God has said, you can leverage that in your time of prayer. God, you promised peace. Where's my peace? You've promised love, Lord. Where's my love? You've promised these things, strength and courage. Give me those things. Those are your promises. Where are they at? It's exactly what Moses does here. Lord, you said you were going to give the people the land. If you wipe them off, they're going to say, the other nations are going to say, you weren't strong enough to do it. Might not work well, what your plan is. He keeps going. Moses is a picture of wonderful leadership. Verse 16, it is because the Lord was not able to bring the people into the land that he swore to give them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Lord, Lord, I'm going to use your character against you in this prayer, in this time together. You said, your steadfast love, slow to anger, abounding in grace. Pour it out, Father. Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children in the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to your greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now, like, Lord, you've done it before. We're coming back to that well of grace. Verse 20, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit. Ooh, I love that. If you circle or underline in your Bible, scribble all over that one. Then maybe beside it in the margin say, give me that. Caleb has a what? A different spirit. Ooh-wee. Man, he has followed me fully 
I will bring him to the land to which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Verse 25, now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, say, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumbled against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your bodies shall fall in the wilderness. Uh, and of all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones who you, uh, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness. Until the last day, your dead bodies lie in the wilderness. According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken surely. This I will do. All the wicked generation, uh, congregation who have gathered together against me in this wilderness, they shall come to a full end, and they shall die. And the man whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land. The men who brought up a bad report of the land died by plague before the Lord. And those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, remained alive. He said, what is the warning here? The warning here is when you and I have seen God work not to test him again and again and again. The picture here is he removes from the nation of Israel what he promised. And because they brought up worried about their children, if we go into this land, Lord, that you've promised and we do this, these people are going to eat our children up. Our babies aren't going to live. Because they hide behind their children, God says 20 and older will not see the land. But your children you were so worried about, I'm going to take them into it. They're going to enjoy the glory and the goodness of the God of the universe. And because you hid behind them as a shield, I'm going to give them my promise. But see, when you go backward, and just a quick overview. When you go backward, Exodus 15, what happens is they grumble about the water. Exodus 15, they grumble about the water. We don't have any water. They've just been brought out of the nation of Egypt. Is it wrong to be upset you don't have your needs met? Somebody answer that, please. You need, right? God has made promises. You need. The way in which you and I voice our displeasure shows how we honor or dishonor God. The grumbling, the complaining, and the whining are ways that we dishonor the Lord of the universe. There's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, I need peace. Lord, I need a job. I need finances. I need food. I need this. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. It is exactly what, I mean, you wouldn't slap around your kids for coming in and asking for a hamburger. Right? I'm hungry. I'm hungry. That's the expectation. Right? That's the expectation. You and I walk into the throne room of God and say, man, we need this. This is lacking. We're, I'm struggling here. I need you, Lord. You've promised. But man, when you and I come in with an attitude of grumbling, discord, whatever else, we sound like the enemy. So they're upset. <laughs> teenagers and teenagers. Uh, hopefully we grow out of that. The water in Exodus 15 is made sweet. 
In Exodus 16, they're upset that they don't have any food. So what does God rain down from heaven every day? Manna. What happens later, though, after they've been there 30 years? How delicious was that manna? What was the point of the manna? I need you to see this because this floored me. It was just to get them to what? Promised land. The manna wasn't permanent. The manna was a temporary thing until the promise of God was until they walked into the land flowing of milk and honey. And grapes and pomegranates and figs. Like it was just to get them there. And yet they couldn't get through it. So what happens? 40 years they eat what? Manna. You get later on in the book of Exodus, guess what they're complaining about? The manna. Ugh. I wish we were still in Egypt. Moses, what have you done? Like all the food there was just so plentiful. It's like the enemy can warp our mind about what yesterday was by making us ungrateful for today. He does that to the nation of Israel because they'll look back repeatedly. If you read through this stuff, they will look back and say, it was so good in Egypt. It was so good. There was food and meat, leeks and celery. It was so yummy. What was going on in Egypt before God showed up and brought them out of there? They were crying, wailing slaves. And yet the enemy can contort our mind to where we can't even see clearly backward, much less forward. Forget forward. If he's got your heart, don't look forward and think you're going to navigate anything properly. You can't even look backward and see it correctly. The nation of Israel says, man, we need to go back to Egypt. It was better to be a slave there. Really? A couple years ago, you were whining and crying. Moses is way more patient than some other people. Me. Bread from heaven comes down. What happens yet? I'm going to finish with this one. Exodus 17, then we're done. Exodus 17, if you read it, is this. Again, there's no water. This is really, really important. There's no water the first time the stick goes in. The bitter well, Mara, is now made good. Elam. Okay? You go into the story, manna from heaven. When they finish the manna from heaven story, they walk in and there's a place of 12 springs. And then the next chapter is Exodus 17. And guess what? There's no water again. And guess what they do? Uh, uh, you brought us out here to die again. Exodus 17 is very, very important. God tells Moses, take the stick that you split the Red Sea with. Hit the rock. And water's going to come out. Now, if you've ever paid attention, who stands in front of the rock? God. God says, I will put my presence in front of the rock. So when Moses strikes the rock, he is actually showing displeasure, punishment, and judgment. But who takes it first? Whew. Come on. God. He's standing there as a representative and saying, they should be punished. We just walked through this story. I'll stand there and I'll take the beating. Who does it again? Man. Some people think the God of the Old Testament is so harsh and mean and bad. He is not. He is the same as Jesus. He just looks different. Takes on human flesh and comes and lives his life. But God has already taken the punishment for Israel once. That should have been their punishment. Moses, you strike them. I'm done. Nope. I'll stand in front of the rock. You strike the rock and water will come out. I will take their punishment. Because they're not learning the lesson. 
Numbers 14 is the fulfillment of, again, they've not learned the lesson. And God says they will not go into the land. They will die. Do you know that according to Jewish uh, ritual, every day after this would have been a day of mourning? Because every one of those people that died would have held with them a certain amount of time to mourn. There would have been so many people die over the next 40 years, they would have never gotten to a place of celebration again. It's just numbers. They're all going to die. The next 40 years is going to be a place of mourning. They're going to grieve the loss every day. Listen, friends, learn the lessons God has taught us in the past. Don't let the enemy come in and take over what we are doing. Don't let him come in. Don't let him mess with your mind, mess with your heart. As they come to play, will you pull up, we have a defeated foe. I just want people to see that slide just to see it. It's exactly the same as the first one with what the enemy wants to do. But in light of what our weapons are, the devil's plan is made very small. In light of what you and I have access to, what he can do is very, very small. It is the exact same slide of who your adversary is, what he can do, his choice of weapon, the way he brings them in, the victories that he gets. But what are our weapons? Listen, church, this is it. Truth, love, patience, kindness, giving the benefit of the doubt, seeking understanding, having a small handful of things to fight over. Knowing a difference between opinion, somebody's opinion differing from yours, and somebody sinning against you. Knowing that is a big one. Seeing the bigger picture of what God wants to do instead of our little picture of what we think church ought to be. Understanding your need to lead to. Honoring leadership, but understanding your need to lead to. When you and I get in the moments of this church where we're loving, doing what we need to do, fellowshipping over dinner, playing volleyball, and when your example is working in the right direction, when you are loving the kids properly, when you are loving my children properly, when you are loving the other kids properly, you are leading and understanding your responsibility to do that. You see, if you and I want to navigate this next season, we want to go where the Lord wants us to go. We're going to see some things that look insurmountable. He's going to push us forward. And the way you and I are going to get there in a safe place is by being like Jesus, showing grace to those that are trying to live like him too. Because that's just who you and I are. Loving each other, taking care of things, giving the benefit of the doubt, being patient, being kind, working together. And we will continue to see the Lord do things that he has done in the last couple months. It has done my heart so much good to listen and to hear and to see and to be a part of the last two months of this church. I long for more. Stand with me this morning. As they sing and play, if you need something, you come.